0: difficulty tonight. Because last week, you know, we were excited, we got some new stuff, we got some video stuff, we got some lighting stuff, we got some new sound stuff, and then we come in here and, like, little of it works. (laughs) So it's a good, humbling thing for us. And it's a good reminder, I think, for us that this isn't what makes church, right? Like, they did a great job and and we we made it work, right? But this isn't what makes church instruments and and sound, and lighting, and video, and all of that. What makes church is this, and this, right? And we have this. No matter what works on screens, and that sort of thing, we can live without that, right? This is what makes church, and so I'm glad that um, we had a little bit of a reminder of, of that tonight. So thank you guys for being here. Thanks for bearing with us. If you did get here um, after we started, so we've had, we've had some issues with some stuff tonight, and uh, so we don't have a video in particular. I think the rest of the stuff is okay. We don't have a video in particular. So um, yeah, so you have to listen extra well tonight. <laughs> we all have points on the screen. So maybe you'll have to write in your notes extra well tonight too. But we're really glad that you're here. So this is our soft line. If you're visiting tonight, um, awesome, awesome that you're here. We're so glad that you chose chosen to join us. Um, we would... Uh, the, the next few weeks, this is our soft launch. We're all kind of building up to Easter. Easter is the, uh, the time when we like promote and we tell people, hey, we're here. Right now, we're kind of incognito. We're a little bit under the radar, which is cool. Um, and we're trying to work the bugs out and all of that. So you've joined us at that time, and we're so glad that you're here. We just had to be fair with us. So, um, And if you are visiting, I, I would love if you pull out your programs there. In your program, you have a little sheet that's called a connection card. That's a great way to communicate with us. So if you're visiting tonight, we would love to know that you're here. Um, if you wouldn't mind just filling that out, and then um, afterwards you can drop it right at the back table back there. There's two big black tubes that say offering on them. You can just drop them back in there. We're not doing an offering um, uh, during our soft launch time, so We won't be passing any baskets or anything like that. But if you uh, would fill those out and put those in the offering tube, that would be great. Um, I especially want to say if we can pray for you for something. Um, please write that on there. And that goes to the staff and we collect it and we lift those uh, requests up to the Lord throughout the week. And I want to say this too. If you're visiting, um, just be who you are. Just be yourself. I think church works so much better that way. I know this about every single one of us in the room. Um, We're all flawed, right? We're all sinners. No one's perfect. We all have baggage. We're all struggling at some level with something, right? We all struggle with selfishness. This is who we are. None of us in here is perfect. And you can be who you are. You don't have to put masks on and pretend like my life is easy, I have no problems. Don't do that. Just be who you are. If you have questions about anything, please find somebody with a lanyard hanging around their neck and they would love to help you and try to answer any questions that you have. So we're really glad that you're here. So we uh, continue on in our Epicenter series. So this is the first series that we started. Here at the Berkeley campus, and what we've been doing. So we, we said that the gospel is like the epicenter of an earthquake. So the epicenter of an earthquake is the center of a disturbance from which shock waves radiate out in every direction, right? And we said the gospel is like a disturbance in our lives. The gospel, in fact, is a major disturbance in our lives, and it sends out shock waves that affect every part of us, every part of who we are. And so we're looking at different ways during this series, we're looking at different ways in which the gospel affects our lives. And so um, we're looking at kind of what it looks like personally and individually for me, and what it looks like corporately for us as a body. So we're launching this campus and we're saying, like, why do we do the things that we do, and why do we not do the things that we don't do, right? Like, every church does some things and every church doesn't do some things. And so we're looking at the things that we value as part of this series and saying, the gospel drives us to do these things. Make sense? And so we've come a long way so far. So the first week we talked about kind of our foundational value and we said, we live to make Jesus make sense. We live to make Jesus make sense. What we do as a church is not just for the church. We don't, the church doesn't exist for the church. The church exists for the world, right? We're not here to isolate ourselves and to insulate ourselves. We're here to help make the gospel make sense, who Jesus is, to a world that's looking for hope, right? And so that's like the the foundational value of who we are as a church. We live to make Jesus make sense. And we will go to great lengths to make Jesus make sense to people that are seeking him. We will inconvenience ourselves, right? We will inconvenience ourselves to help people understand the gospel and who Jesus is. So that's what we talked about the first week. The second week we said we share life together. We share life together. We say God made us to have relationships. God didn't make us to do life by ourselves, to do life solo. We share life together, and we said that's awesome. Like relationships are really good. I had a uh, my men's group this morning, and I love it. Like opening up my life to these men, they know me, and being a part of their lives is beautiful. Right? There's beautiful parts of sharing life together, but it's also messy. It's also hard because none of us is perfect. We all have issues, we all have struggles, we all have messes like I just talked about, right? And so this is it's this beautifully messy thing. And but when we get together and we share life together, we don't just do it to like polish ourselves off and make ourselves just right and perfect. It's not why we do it. We share life together connected to that first value we talked about, to make Jesus make sense. I am trained. When I gather together with these guys, I am trained and challenge them to go out and help people understand who Jesus is. Right? It kind of fuels the other. That's what we do. So that was the second week. The third week we said we got no spare parts. So we said everybody is important. Everybody is essential. And in the Bible it talks about the church is the body of Christ. He uses this metaphor of a body. So like we're a body together and every part of the body is essential. Every part of the body is important. And if one part's not working, or one part is is not functioning properly, it affects the rest of the body, right? We talked about the ankle. Like, if i got an ankle that works just fine, but I choose not to use it, and I just, like, drag it like this, that's ridiculous, right? And it affects everything. It affects every part of me. And it's the same thing with the church. And so all of you have different gifts. You have different skills. You have different passions. You have different experiences that God has given you of what we do as a church, and particularly when we launch this campus, is we start from nothing. Is we say, like, what, what is your part to play? We asked, we asked two questions that week. We said, what's my part, and, and am I doing what I'm designed for? Right? Like, what's your part, and are you doing it? Are you doing what you're designed for? So that's what we talked about the third week. The fourth week, we talked about how much we value kids and students. We said, man, we really, really care about the next generation. We call them next generation leaders. We really care about them because one day the church is going to be entrusted, the leadership of the church is going to be entrusted to you guys and all, of the, all the other ones down there in the gym. And so we have a responsibility right now as adults, right now in the church, to invest in the next generation, to help them understand who Jesus is, to help them understand who the gospel is. That's our responsibility, and we believe in that. We take that very serious. And so we will, as adults, we will sacrifice for the kids down there. So the, the, a big part of our budget goes to kids, and we're not ashamed to say that. Okay, We'll sacrifice a little bit for us so that they can love church and understand in very clear, tangible ways who Jesus is. And then last week we talked about we do hard things. I love that. We're not afraid to do hard things. That's part of who we are. We don't run away from hard things. Even when other people run away from hard things, we say, no, we will run toward those hard things. Because God calls us to hard things. Many times, that's how that works. He calls us to hard things. But the cool thing is, whatever he calls us to, he also promises to go with us with, with us into those things. Right? He never calls us to do it alone. He calls us to do hard things, but he always promises to go with us. And then what's so cool is, he gives us his, his strength. Right? He doesn't call us to do it on our own. You know, he promises to go with us. We have this beautiful promise in the scriptures of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. It doesn't get any more close than that, right? Literally with us, living inside of us, the very Spirit of God. So He promises to go, He promises to give us His strength, and we promise to do it for His glory. We don't do it for our glory, we do it for His glory. So that's kind of where we've been, okay? And then today we're going to talk about our next value, our sixth value, and it's we live to give. And this is what we say. We live to give. We practice joyful generosity. We give our time, our resources, and ideas with ridiculous selflessness. I'm going to say it again if you don't have the screens to look at. Hey, can you just turn this one off? It's distracting. Just turn it off. Uh, here it is. We live to give. We practice joyful generosity. We give our time, resources, and ideas with ridiculous selflessness. You know, it's funny. We, got, we had two little kids. I got an 8-year-old uh, uh, and a 5-year-old. And it's really interesting to me, like, what you have to teach kids and what you don't have to teach kids, right? Like, some things you got to teach them. Some things they don't know. Some things they just pick up absolutely on their own. So, like, you got to teach your kid how to eat with utensils, right? Like, kids just go home. Show it in their mouth. You gotta teach them how to eat the pizza. You gotta teach them to brush their teeth, right? Like they don't do it. Sometimes my kids still don't do it, even though we teach them, but you gotta teach them to brush your teeth. You gotta teach them how to talk. You gotta teach them how to walk. You gotta teach them how to read. Like all of, use the potty, right? That's always an experience. That's always a joy. But then there's other things that you don't have to teach them. They just know. Like they instinctively know. Like you don't have to teach a kid how to sleep. When they're tired, they close their eyes and they fall asleep. You don't have to teach a kid how to cry, right? When they want something that they don't have, they instinctively know how to cry, right? You don't have to teach a kid how to smile when they're happy. They smile. You don't have to teach a kid how to say mine, right? Like, they just do it. You ever notice that? You don't have to teach them how to say mine. You never have to teach a kid how to be selfish. You never have to teach a kid how to look out for themselves. Even when they have parents who selflessly care for all of their needs, instinctively kids want what they want, and they look out for what's theirs. It's like selfishness is just ingrained in who we are. right? It's just ingrained in who we are. And of course, we live in a culture that I think kind of encourages that. Like, I love our culture. I love our country. I love the freedoms that we have. But let's be honest. We live in a culture that kind of encourages selfishness. I was watching I don't even know what I was watching. Some television show. This commercial came on. I think it was for a bank or or a retirement uh, company, something like that. And uh, they're, of course, talking about money, which is nothing wrong with that. Bible talks about money all the time. It's all to right, talk about money. But they're talking about money. And um, they're talking about like things that, that it's a bunch of little snapshots of people, and they're talking about things that they want and their perspective on money. And one person said, I wrote it down, I think about money all the time. Okay. The next person said, money is the most important thing to me. And then the commercial goes on and says, and that's okay. It's blah, 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 blah. And I thought, huh, like not even subtle, right? It's like that's that's kind of what we're taught, what we're challenged. Like one time I want to see a commercial that says, We will help you make a lot of money so that you can give it away. <laughs> that bank would probably last for like a week, right, until it closed up. But banks know what they're doing, and so do car manufacturers and so do shopping stores and and so do uh, electronics companies and clothing designers Like they know what, they do, what they're doing they know that playing to our selfishness sells, right? like it's a no brainer because we all battle selfishness at some level it's part of how we're wired I don't think it's part of how we're designed I don't think God designed us that way but it's part of how we're wired now because none of us is born innocent, right? like all of us are born with this bent towards selfishness with this bent towards sin I guess we could probably thank Adam and Eve for that but it's something that all of us deal with. And you know, when I see selfishness in others, I hate it. Mm, I hate it. It's like ugly. It's so repulsive. It feels juvenile, you know? Like a little spoiled brat that just wants what they want. I hate it. And I can always spot it in other people a lot faster than I can see it myself, right? Like I know that it lived right here as well in my heart. Well, tonight I want to talk about generosity. I want to talk about what that looks like in giving my life away to others. And when I say generosity, I don't want you, like most naturally when I say that, we probably all first start thinking about money, right? I don't want you to think that narrowly. When I say generosity, don't just think about money, although that's part of it, but think about it in broader terms, like what does it look like for you and I to live a generous life? I think that this is maybe the hardest, at least one of the hardest values that we have today. I think it's one of the hardest that we have to live out. And it's also one that makes the most impact on others. When we live generous lives, it speaks very, very loudly to other people without saying a word. And it shows the world something different. Because, like I said, there's a lot of selfishness in the world, right? There's a lot of selfishness here. There's a lot of selfishness when you walk outside those doors. And when you see somebody that's living a generous life, it speaks very loudly and very beautifully. Guys, in my opinion, the depth of our generosity, I'm curious, you tell me afterwards, don't tell me during, you tell me afterwards if you agree with this. Um, the depth of our generosity, how generously we're living, is a direct indicator, it's directly related to the depth of our faith and understanding of the gospel. It's a strong statement, but I really believe that. The, the amount that we live generous lives, the depth of our generosity in our lives is directly related to how much we experience and understand the gospel. I'm curious if you agree with that by the time we get to the end. Let's look at what the Bible says. Flip open in your Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you uh, don't have a Bible, we got some on the back table there that I would encourage you to grab one. Um, if you don't have a Bible of your own, take one of those with you. That's our gift to you. We would love for you to have that, and we would encourage you to read it. In the Bible that we have is page 939, 2 Corinthians is, is toward the back of the Bible, toward the end of the Bible. We spent um, our time in, in 2 Corinthians the first week when we were talking about you know, our passion to make Jesus make sense. and We were talking about us being Christ's ambassadors, his, his agents of reconciliation. And as a reminder, we said Paul knew the Corinthians really well. Like these were people that he knew well. He founded the church, and he spent a whole lot of time with them. And the Corinthians, I love First and Second Corinthians because the Corinthians were very, very similar to us. They're very similar to us in, in kind of the Western world today. Um, one one of the ways that they're similar to us is they had a lot of money. Like compared to a lot of the world, they had a lot of money, and we do too. Like even the poorest people in our country are considered rich compared to a vast majority of the world. It's incredible. Should, I'm sure the statistics have changed, and so um, any numbers I quote wouldn't be accurate, but it's incredible how, what, per, like, giant percentage of the world lives on less than $2 a day. It's crazy, right? And so can, can, whether you feel it or not, compared to most of the world, you and I are considered rich, and the Corinthians were too. And so I want you to check it out. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. So this is the Apostle Paul writing to them. He says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. The Macedonian churches, by the way, were a persecuted group of churches, really poor, they were struggling. The Macedonian churches were like the church of Philippi. We have the letter of Philippians, right? That Paul wrote to the Philippians. Thessalonica, we have Thess- First and Second Thessalonians. And the church of Berea. Those were the Macedonian churches, okay? And these churches were poor, they were persecuted. Verse 2, in the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. See, as Paul, as Paul starts out talking about this generous life, and in, in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9 talks about generosity. I encourage you to read it this week. It talks about what it looks like for us to live a generous life. But as he starts out talking about this, he talks about people that are living generous lives. And so he talks about the Macedonians. And the Macedonians, again, were really different than the Corinthians. The Corinthians were like us. The Corinthians were rich. But the Macedonians were really different. They were very poor. So like a, a modern-day comparison might be like us being like the Corinthians and maybe folks in Haiti, for example, being like the Macedonians. Or folks in South Sudan who live on so little. Or maybe the Dalits in India. That's a comparison today. And so Paul talks about these people, and he talks about their generosity. And in verse 2 he said, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty, I love this, this metaphor, well up in rich generosity. I testify they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They had so little, and yet they were so incredibly generous. And you know what's crazy? The people that they were giving to, the people that they were giving money to, you and I know those people just as well as they did. Not at all. They didn't know them one bit. They were giving to struggling believers in Jerusalem. How many of these poor people living in Macedonia do you think had traveled to Jerusalem and actually knew people in Jerusalem? I would bet none. I looked it up. It's a four-hour flight from Thessaloniki to Jerusalem. Four-hour flight. Can you imagine how many hours that is by boat or by camel? Right? I mean, the chances of them knowing anybody there is is, uh, is very, very low. And yet, in their extreme poverty, poverty they gave beyond generously to these people that they didn't know in their need. Verse 4 says they actually pleaded with, they begged, they pleaded with Paul and his friends for the privilege of giving to the Lord's people. The privilege of sharing the very, very little money that they had with complete strangers. And here's my big question, like when I hear that, I don't know, I don't know what goes on in your mind when you hear that, but when I hear that, I have one big question in my mind, I think, why? Why in the world would they do that? I mean, they, they didn't even, it seems crazy. You know? Like, it seems almost irresponsible because I'm sure that they had people all around them that they knew that had serious needs themselves. Like, why on earth would they be so generous in giving to these people that they didn't even know? Well, Paul tells us. Look at verse 5. It says, "They, They exceeded our expectations. These Macedonians exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part, Corinthians. Since you excel, Corinthians, in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. See, these Macedonians, they were changed. I mean, they were changed. They were absolutely changed. How are they changed? Well, they gave themselves to the Lord. They gave themselves to the Lord. See, we said earlier, we said, selfishness happens by nature. Right? Like, it just, no one has to teach me to be selfish. No one has to teach my kids to say mine. Right? They just do it, and they do it a lot. Right? Or no one has to teach us to be selfish. It happens by nature. But generosity happens by grace. Selfishness happens by nature, but generosity happens by grace. In verse 5, it says, they gave themselves to the Lord. In verse 6, Paul calls uh, generosity, called giving, an act of grace. In verse seven, he talks about the grace of giving. They gave themselves to the Lord. They gave themselves to Jesus, and they experienced grace, and it welled up in them in generosity. You know what grace is. You know how you know like how to define grace. And one one way to define it is unmerited favor. Maybe some of you have heard that before. Unmerited favor. There's nothing that I did. To receive favor, I looked up uh, another definition and said, "Unmerited divine assistance given humans for their regeneration or sanctification." I don't even know what that means. I'll be honest with you. You know how I define it? Decide, define it. Instead of getting the punishment that I deserve, I get favor and reward. Instead of getting the punishment, this is grace. Instead of getting the punishment that I deserve and you deserve, we get favor and we get reward. And so I can be the recipient of grace, but I could also be the bestower of grace, right? So sometimes I receive it, sometimes I give it. Here's what Paul tells us. The Macedonians gave their lives to Jesus. They received grace from him. Instead of the punishment that they deserved. they received favor and reward and salvation, right? They gave their lives to Jesus. And in response, they gave their lives, not just, not just their money. Remember, we're thinking broadly here, right? They gave their lives, Paul says, their entire selves... They gave themselves to serve and bless Paul and these people that they had never met before. And now Paul is urging the Corinthians and us, as we read it, to do the same thing. Guys, we we can't miss this because this is huge for us. This is like a game changer for us. We've been talking about this all throughout this epicenter series. The gospel changes everything. It is this monumental disturbance inside of us that changes everything. Every part of our lives, every single part of us, including our generosity, it's changed by the gospel. And the more and more that I understand the depth and the gift and the sacrifice that Jesus made for me, the more and more I want to show the world that same sacrifice and that same sort of blessing. And listen, if I'm having trouble, this is, this is a strong statement, if I'm having trouble being generous with other people, Maybe I don't understand the gospel. If I'm having trouble with generosity in my life, maybe there's a lot to the gospel that I'm missing. Look back at 2 Corinthians. Look back at uh, chapter 8 verse 8. Paul explains this even more. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love, of your love for God, of your love for Jesus, by comparing it with the earnestness of others, by comparing your love, Corinthians, with the Macedonians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. See, Paul Paul explains it more to the Corinthians and more to us. We can test the sincerity of our love. We can can test the sincerity of of our faith by how generously we live. How generous are you living? How how generous am I living? Right? Back in verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Paul reminds us of Jesus's generosity with us. And I think it would be very appropriate for us to stop and be reminded of that same thing too. Guys, if we believe what the Bible says about Jesus, and I believe it with all of my heart, with everything that I have, if we believe that, he's God. The fullness of the Godhead rests in Him. The Son of God is eternal. He's all-powerful. He's sovereign. He's holy. He's perfect. He's just. He's righteous. He abounds in love. And the eternal God took on flesh. Like, figuratively speaking, He stepped out of heaven and stepped into earth, stepped into skin. He became one of us. And He chose to limit His divinity to become human, just like you and me. And as one of us, he lived perfectly. Perfectly. Without sin even once. And he showed us how to live as a very real living example. And you would think, as I think about it, you would think that when he came, when he stepped out of heaven and came to earth, when he took on flesh, you'd think that he'd come like as a king. Right? Like like wielding power and honor and living in luxury. Because at least that's what he would deserve. But instead, it says in, in Philippians 2, it says, He, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant or slave. He made human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. The all-powerful, righteous, holy, loving king Gave his life for people like you and me who are none of those things. We're not all powerful, we're not righteous, we're not holy, we're not loving. And his death meant life for us. And I want you to think about that. John 5.24 says that we were dead. Physically alive, yes. But we were dead. We were spiritually dead. You know what dead people can do for themselves? Nothing. Right? Nothing. They're dead. You know who they can impress? No one. They're dead. you know what they can earn? Nothing. They're dead. you know what they deserve? Nothing. They're dead. They're dead people. They're helpless. They're gone. There's no hope. They're dead. That's what they were. I don't know about you, but I remember that feeling. I remember that feeling inside of me. I felt dead. I didn't always feel dead. But many times I felt this emptiness. Like this deadness inside of me. But just as Jesus himself rose from the dead, he raised dead people like us to life. Not because we deserved it. We're dead. We deserve anything. Not because we earned it. Not because we really impressed God with our death. But because he loved us. That's why. Because he loved us. And he rescued us. And he showed us grace. And our only part was to accept the free gift, right? And then live for our rescuer. Just accept it. And then live for the one who rescued us out of gratitude and out of love. Our rescuer became poor. He gave his life so that we could be rich, so that we could move from death to life. Isn't that beautiful? That's that's what Jesus did for us. And because our all-powerful, righteous, holy, loving King generously gave us everything, we too can and should give our lives away generously. That's our our reason for living generous lives, for giving our lives away. So the more that I understand God's generosity toward me, this is kind of your next point, the more I understand God's generosity toward me, the more generously I can live with others. As I believe that with all my heart. The more and more that I understand how generous God is with me, the more generously I can live for others. This is the heart of generosity. Later in chapter 9, I so said chapter 8 and chapter 9 talk about this, this generous life, right? Later in chapter 9, Paul talks about giving not out of uh, compulsion, like a have to, or reluctantly, but he talks about giving cheerfully and giving joyfully. See, this is how I can give joyfully. This is how I can give cheerfully, because I realize that I've already been given everything. And I have the promise that whenever I have needs, God will provide for them, Right? Like, I can, I can give my life away because I've been given everything already. And I know that he's going to provide for any other needs that I have. I can give my life away as a response to the indescribable gift. That's what Paul calls it at the end of chapter 9. He calls it the indescribable gift that he's given me. I want you to just, I want you to just let that soak in for a minute. And I want you to just think about that. I'm generous with my life. Uh, with others, I'm generous with my life, with others, because God has been so incredibly generous with me, guys. That is so different than other reasons for generosity. Do you know that we can actually be, uh, we can have generous actions with really selfish hearts? You ever thought about this? It happens all the time. Our actions can look really generous but it's actually motivated, motivated by selfishness. Businesses do this all the time, right? Like they give away money to have a good public image and then there's always a little news blurb about how, they, how generously they gave to such and such organization. People give to charities for tax deductions, right? So maybe it'll bump me down to a little bit lower tax bracket so I don't have to pay as much. People volunteer at organizations to impress people or so that it's something that you can put on your resume rather than really believing in what that organization is doing. Christians give to the church maybe because we feel a little bit guilty about not giving and so we maybe want to stay on God's good side and maybe avoid a little God's wrath right? so I'll appease him by giving a little bit but really it's for myself because I don't want to feel guilty and I don't want bad things to happen to me or maybe the worst of all of them Christians have been taught that they are to give expecting that God will give them even more in return I think there's nothing else that drives me more crazy than that. Because it is an absolute distortion of the gospel. And it is completely driven by selfishness. If you give because you expect God to give you, to make you healthier, wealthier, and wiser, it's a terrible reason to give. You're missing it. You're completely missing it. Those are absolutely wrong reasons for us to give our lives away. Those reasons are all about me. I want people to think highly of me. I don't want to feel guilty. I want to get more in return. I, 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 me, me, me. How different are any of those reasons then? I have been given so much by God. Eternal life, forgiveness, peace, hope, joy, the promise of salvation one day, being taken from death to life. And because of that, I want to be like my rescuer. And I want to be generous like He is. And I want to give my life away to others. How different is that than doing it for selfish reasons? So, so if I were sitting in your seats and I were listening to this, and as I sat at my desk this week and I was, I was preparing for this, here, here's what I was thinking. So what does it look like? Uh, it sounds good live a generous life. Like, let's get practical. What does a generous life look like? Like, does it mean that I'm just going to give away all of my money? I'm going to give away all of my time. I'm going to always be serving other people. I'm always going to be concerned about other people's needs. Like, is that what it means to live a generous life? Well, I don't think so. I don't think that's what it means. Paul actually goes on and talks about it later in chapter 8, verse 13. He says the goal in meeting other people's needs is not to give to the point of making myself poor. Then we still have the same problem. We still have poor people. It's just me who's poor instead of you who's poor, right? There's still needs. But he says the goal is that when I have more than what I need, I look to help others before I just focus on myself and what I want. When maybe one day I'm going to have needs and other people are going to be able to step up and help meet my needs. I I had a, a cool example of a generous life. Um, with, with one of you guys. I don't see him in the room. I don't think he's here right now. Um, but a <coughs> Rob Williams, my, my uh, snowblower, our last heavy snowfall, I was out snowblowing my driveway, which I love a snowblower, man. It makes it so much easier. I'm out there, and like I'm at my last strip on my driveway, and all of a sudden, it stops working. Or it's still making sound. It sounds like it's working, but the auger inside's not doing anything. So my first thought, so I'm not like a mechanically inclined person, so my first thought was, it's broken. I guess i got to get a a snowblower, right? Like, that's that's where my mind goes. But then, I, but then I started thinking about it more, and I thought, well, maybe it's just something small. And so I called up my friend Rob, and I said, hey, man, next time you're over here, will you take a look at my snowblower? Because he's really mechanically inclined. I said, will you just take a look at my snowblower and, and see what you think, right? Like, see if you can figure out what's going on. And so he came over. He saw my need, and he generously showed me, gave his time, He looked at it, and he showed me what was wrong. It ended up being like a $10 belt. I was ready to buy a new snowblower. It's a $10 belt. I'm grateful for Rob, But he chose to help me. He generously gave his time and wisdom, his knowledge, his expertise, so that I didn't have to go buy a new snowblower. He didn't just shell out $500 and say, just go buy a new one. That's not what generosity is. He used what he had to help me in my life in my time of need. That's a generous life. Getting back to Paul in 2 Corinthians, he goes so far as to say that maybe God has given us all that we have so that we can be generous with others. How's that for a little paradigm shift in your thinking? Maybe God has blessed us so incredibly much so that we can live generously with others. So that when others come to us, we can give to them. Maybe God has blessed us so much so that when we see needs, we can go, I, I can help with that. Contentment plays a lot in us too, right? I'm content with what I have, and I have extra so I can give to you. You ever look at life that way? Like I'm preaching to myself right now too, right? That, that maybe God has given me so much that I can be a blessing to others. You ever look at your experiences like that? Like maybe, maybe God allowed me to go through some of the hard things that I went through so that I can generously offer insight and companionship relationship to people who are going through those things right then. you ever look at your time that way like maybe God has given me some extra time in my day um, maybe not so much so I can just sit back in my chair and turn on another basketball game as opposed to investing a little kid down the road and then have a daddy just spend time with him and teach him you ever, you ever look at your at your checkbook that way you open it up and you go, oh man, I got all my bills paid this week. And I still have this much extra. Maybe I can look around and I can see who God has brought in my life that I can make a difference with, who has real needs that I can help meet. Maybe God has given us all that we have so we can be generous with others. This is this is not like from the inspired word of God from the Bible. But this is what Martian and I do. And you can see if it's helpful for you. This is, this is kind of how we approach generosity. The first thing we do is um, we look at our very basic needs. We look, we, we look at our needs first. I'm talking like food, shelter, and clothing, right? And we say, do I have those needs met? Do I have those very basic needs in my life with my family? God has entrusted my family to me. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good father. Have we met our very basic needs? And I'll be honest with you, um, that hasn't been a stretch for us. We've never longed for food, clothing, or shelter God has provided for that. Maybe that maybe it'll be different one day. But at this point, that's not been hard for us. So that's the first thing that I look at. The second thing I look at is that what are the needs of others that the Lord desires us to meet? So we try to be generous off the top, right? Like we've we've got our absolute basic needs met. Now who is the Lord connected with us that maybe we can bless? You know? And we and we start with. Church, because I feel like that's really important. I think that's a precedent in Scripture. And so we give generously of our time, of our skills, of our resources, of our experience, of, of our money to the church. And we look for other people that we trust, that we believe in, who are in great need that we can help. That's what we give. So we do. So we start with our very basic needs. Make sure those are met. And then we say, what are the needs of other people that they have? That's the second level. And then third level is we said, our, our wants, like we focus on our wants. What do I want? It's not, it's not wrong to want things. It's not wrong to uh, enjoy some of the stuff that God has given us. We shouldn't always feel guilty about that, right? Like I, I wanted some new shoes. You guys like my shoes? These are the coolest shoes I've ever owned. I wanted
1: some new shoes this
0: week, and so I got some new shoes. That's okay, right? The problem comes in when we get our priorities messed up, and we start putting our needs and our wants before everything else. We live in such a consumeristic culture, this is really easy to happen to us without us even realizing it. Next thing you know, all of your money, all of your time, all of your resources, all of your energy is used up on you and your family. You don't have anything left to give. And so then when somebody comes in and they go, I have some needs, you look at them and go, it's an annoyance to me. (laughs) It's like, it's an inconvenience to me, because I'm more focused on myself. Anyone ever been there? I have I battle selfishness all the time. What would it look like for you to live your life more generously? I suspect knowing how like we're making this happen. God is is making this new campus happen. It's happening because you guys are giving and serving so generously. I suspect that many of you do an incredible job with this. But what would it look like for each of us to live our lives more generously with your time? With your finances? With your expertise? With your skills? With your energy? With your experiences? What would it look like? How, how aware are we of opportunities that God brings our way of people that, that have needs when we have extra and we can meet their needs? How aware are we of that? I love know about you, but I want to be known as a generous person. I lived a lot of years very, very selfishly i just be real honest with you. My sisters could tell you, I lived a lot of years as a very selfish person. And I don't want to be a selfish person. I want to live a generous life. It's so good for us to live selflessly, to give our our lives, not our wives, to give our lives away. March in here, i don't think so. <laughs> to give our lives away to other people. No ulterior motives, right? just selflessly blessing people with what God has entrusted to us think about the legacy that you're leaving what do you want to be known for we're all going to go one day right what do you want to be known for you want to be known as a selfish person you want to be known as a person that has man that guy had a a big house he had a really nice car he had some really cool stuff He he had a lot of money in his retirement account he was a little stingy he didn't really help people he didn't like to give very much, or do you want to be remembered as selfless, as giving. As somebody who lived a generous life. I want to be remembered as a generous person, and it's never too late. We got to do it with the right motivation. We don't do it for ourselves. We don't do it to be recognized by others. We don't do it to like earn God's favor for God's protection. He loves us. He's going to protect us. If you love him, he will protect you. He will love you. He'll provide for you. We don't have to earn something from him. We don't do it to receive more in the long run. Let let the generosity in your life be driven by the disturbance of the gospel in your life. And if you're struggling right now, and, and, and it's okay to admit that. we should admit that. We should talk to people about that. If you're struggling with generosity in your life right now, ponder Jesus. Think about Jesus. Think about all that he sacrificed, all that he gave up, how generously he lived and died for you. And let that drive the generosity in our lives. So Father, we uh, we struggle with this. We're, we're, we're just... Naturally, I guess born with a selfish event we think about ourselves we think about our needs but we also think about our wants we, we get mixed up God. we think that all the stuff that, that we've been provided with is just for us and for our good pleasure God would you show us it's not would you show us it's much more about the bigger plan that you have in this world than just our little self-centeredness that you bless us so that we can be a blessing to other people. Father, when we're, when we're living selfishly in our lives, would you gently tell us, whether it's through your spirit or through other people, would you just gently show us the hearts that are struggling with that? And would you give us the strength through your spirit to be people who live generous lives because we've been given everything and as a response to our rescuer, we want to live like you. We trust you, God. And we need you so desperately. In Christ's name.